Welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician, a CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. We're doing something a little different today. I have fellow podcaster Bill Russell on the show, and Bill and I are doing a joint show talking about taking over a new team. Sit back, relax. It's a really good show. Enjoy. Here we go. Welcome to a joint podcast today. You've got uh, Bill Russell with This Week in Health IT and Mark Weitzman, the moderator for CMIO Podcast. And we're doing something a little different today. This is going to appear on both of our websites. Um, They tend to be very complimentary anyway. We think we have a lot of overlap in our audience, so we appreciate you all joining us for this session. I called up Bill because I'm now in a new position. The CNIO and myself from Peninsula Regional, we now have 60 plus some odd epic analysts reporting to us. And so the topic today is taking over a new team, what that's like, And we're not the only ones in healthcare IT who are doing this. There are others who are stepping into leadership roles that are different. So we thought the topic would be applicable to a lot of people. And I get to pick Bill's brain for a little bit here on some of the things that he would do if he was taking over a new team. And what are the first 90 days like? So, Bill, that's where I think we should go with this. How about you? Well, Mark, I'm looking forward to doing this. This should be fun. I And by the way, happy birthday. So everyone who's out there who has Mark's email address, go ahead and send him a birthday greeting. So you're how old now? Am I allowed to ask how old you are? I'm 50 for crying out loud. Oh, the, the you, you, so it's a big one. It's 50. Yeah. And that is a big one. And they're making a deal of it here. I'm not going to show you my office here, but they decorated it with all kinds of old age related things. So. Well, 50 is a big deal. A lot of different kinds of things happen when you go to your first clinic checkup and those kind of things. So uh, good good luck with that. Um, Yeah, the first first 90 days. I don't know why we picked 90 days. I think it was the government, right? So when the president comes in, the first 90 days is such a big event. They say you can almost see which way the the administration is going to go based on the first 90 days. So they spend so much time planning out what they're going to do in those first 90 days of, of admi- administration. And I, I think it is really important for new leaders. And by the way, just another weird fact for you. I was talking to a CIO the other day who was in contact with a recruiting firm, and they said they have 16 open healthcare CIO positions across the country. That's a lot, by the way. Yeah. So yeah. We're, we're, you're not going to be the only one going through this first 90 days thing. So this is probably a pretty good topic. So let's just touch on the first 90-day bit for a minute there. Uh, There's kind of a honeymoon period, I'm thinking, that you get to screw up a little bit and they give you a little bit of leeway and then they start to ignore you? Or if you go in and start making changes hard and fast, what do the first 90 days feel like? A lot of it depends on what you're inheriting. I had Daniel Barchi, CIO for New York Presbyterian on the show. And he said, and I asked him this specific question, first 90 days. And his response, he said, healthcare IT is 80% people, 15% process, and only 5% technology. We could argue about the percentages, but that's roughly, that's generally what it is. It really is a leadership and a people job. And you have to really take the temperature of the room. 
what's going on within your team, what's going on within uh, your peers. How do your peers feel about IT and clinical informatics? Are we delivering, are we giving them the tools they need to be successful? Or is it a critical thing? When the, the last CIO job I took over, the data center had gone down eight times in six weeks. Well, it, in that case, I mean, they're looking at you saying, put out the fire. So it's, you really do have to take the temperature, but then there's some basic things that everybody should really take a look at. I agree that particularly the culture where I'm at, it, healthcare IT in general is risk adverse in my opinion. And we're no different. We're a 120 year old hospital system. We don't turn on a dime yet. The CEO and COO approached Teresa and myself to, to, to make some things different because they wanted to see different results and a different culture. And I'm sensitive to that, but I think the first 90 days will be interesting for us and for any new leader because you got to kind of feel out what do your constituents want and what do your employees want because they may not be the same thing and then how to start reconciling that. Do you recommend doing a roadshow, going out, shaking hands and getting to know the operational leaders first? Or would you go more towards your own employees and your internal team finding out the strengths and weaknesses? Where would you go? <laughs> yeah, the answer to that is yes. So I, I in, in fairness, I coach CIOs and a lot of them are, are, are new to the role and it really depends. So one of the people who's been very vocal about the fact that I'm his coach is, is Lee Milligan. And when Lee came in, he'd been at the organization for 15 years. There's no one in the organization that didn't know who he was or what he was about. So it wasn't a matter of him doing a roadshow, uh, but it was a matter of him having a different lens. He was just given a new lens to which to look at the organization. But again, there's a handful of things that every CIO or every leadership team. So in your case, you have CIO, CNIO, CMIO really operating as a joint team going about it. And Baptist Health, Health in Kentucky has a similar model of a CMIO and CIO and CISO, uh, Chief Information Security Officer, who all act as peers and function together. But either way, the first 90 days, you have to look at a handful of things. And, and they, those are finance, uh, around finance, people, operations, strategy, and communication. And it doesn't matter if you're new to the organization or if you've been there forever, uh, you really have to take a look at those things. Uh, if you want to go through those, a little bit at a time we can, and then, you know, just unpack them. All right. So let's go with, how about finance first? Because I think failure to show financial stewardship can lead to a very short tenure, very short career. So I believe there's a need to show a return on investment that, yes, we can utilize these teams, achieve the clinical goals that they're expecting, but also help recycle reports to us now as well. And that's new. Our rest cycle team is very strong. I don't need to rock the boat very much there, but reducing denials is something that the CFO is very interested in. And that can be done through health IT. That There is a component to rest cycle management that's very much health IT related. So focusing on that and improving that, I think has immediate value and show, of, hey, we're serious in, in what we're doing and helping the organization, at least on the financial end. Where would you go? Yeah, so you just laid out an objective around it, which means it's a project. And does the project take technology? Is it process related? Is it structure related? What is it? But finance is really about fuel. So here's 
categorically true about every health IT organizations across the country. And you hate to speak in these black and white terms, but it's absolutely true. Everyone outside of health IT who works for a healthcare organization thinks IT gets too much money, period. Just everywhere I've gone, everyone I've talked to, it's like the, the health IT that we spend so much money over there and not sure we're getting our value for it. So a couple of things I say to people, it is fuel. And you can crash a plane in, in two ways. One is you can take on too much fuel over and over again and, and starve the other planes on the runway, in which case the other planes figure out a way to make sure you don't take off. So you want only the amount, the amount of money you need to deliver on the expectations and the objectives of the organization, no more and no less. But you have to have enough because I've seen a lot of CIOs get let go after a period of time where their organization was underfunded for a number of years. So they weren't able to keep up on refresh cycles and they ended up with a lot of end of life equipment. They ended up with a lot of challenges, but they didn't know how to make the case for a strategic investment or even a tactical investment in making sure that their equipment stayed uh, current, make sure their EHR stayed current, made sure that they were on the latest builds, make sure that they were doing all those things. And then the one thing you did touch on, which is really true, is in those first 90 days, I want to know everything about budgeting. What's the process? What's the cycle? And how do we report out? And then I want to know within our organization, what are the controls on spending? I want to know everyone who has the ability to spend money because you can easily get in trouble in that space if somebody spends money and essentially they report to you, but if they spend it in the wrong way, uh, that can reflect on you. So you have to understand those. And, and most organizations have those in place, but sometimes there's gaps. Sure, sure. What do you think about culture though? Where does the culture change fit into this? Is that a strategy or yeah. is that its own bucket? Yeah, no, people. So culture, everybody wants to build a, an innovative culture, a culture of trust. And what I found is uh, one of the foundations is everyone knows what's expected of them. And they know, and the organization, you know, gives them something in return for what's expected of them, as long as they deliver on that. So in order to build that culture of trust and accountability, which by the way, I think is harder across three people and across one, because what, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to create clarity, clarity for people in terms of their roles. One of the uh, things that shocked me after two years of being in my position, I went out and did a survey and people, the number one thing we heard was people were unclear about what was expected of them and what their next role was in their career. And that creates a, a murky area. And so People struggle if they don't know what's expected of them, they, it's hard for them to deliver on it. If they don't know what's next, they don't know what to hope for. They don't know what the organization's giving them in return for their work. So that's one of the key areas. I understand the job descriptions, the roles, and map those out for people and then get that integrated into the review process so everybody understands it. And then some you know, other basic blocking and tackling. You have to listen and you have to create that rhythm of communication and the rhythm of listening. How often are you hearing from your staff? Are you giving them multiple venues to talk to you? Some more personal than others. Some are more town hall-esque where you're really giving a state of the you know, situation and others are, I've heard like breakfast with the CIO kind of thing where people can just, a smaller group, ask the kind of questions they want. You have to give them all those kinds of ways to interact. But 
changing culture is, it's hard. It's not something you do overnight. It's something that is, it has to be intentional. Identify that we, we wanted to create a meritocracy in, in, in our health system where I was the CIO. And so we wanted the best people to elevate to the top. Well, it was interesting because as we sort of learned as we went, like, you know, one of the people I've promoted to VP didn't have a college degree. Well, that's set a whole bunch of people off. But what we were trying to create was a meritocracy. And we did do that. People realized that if you do a really good job, regardless of your education status or whatever else people think gets the next role, what we communicated very clearly was what you deliver, what you are doing today matters. And if you deliver well on the things you're doing today, we're going to give you more things to prove yourself and you're going to be able to get there. You've got to decide intentionally, what are you trying to create? And then reinforce that over and over again with communication and then with action. Sorry, I'm doing a lot of talking. I, I sort of. You're good. You're good. So I was going to ask you, we keep finding that there's a lot of pressure on the financial side for IT, as you mentioned. So that tends to create very flat organizations. There's not a lot of vertical leaps that you can make in healthcare IT in our organization. So I want people to be able to look forward. I want to be excited about the future, but there's just not that many slots that you can jump towards. Are you comfortable with training people so that they're going to be outstanding, but they may not be with you? I'm okay with that. I want them to be outstanding players and be happy in life, but I also, I'd love to retain them, of course. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, that was my promise to people is if you come back into work tomorrow, we will figure out a way as an organization to make you more valuable if you ever leave here. And so that's the commitment I can make. I can't commit to them that they'll always have a job because markets come and they go and technologies change and those kind of things, but we're going to invest in them. And so we created a thing called IT University. And all the leaders, all the VPs and above had to teach a class. We brought vendors together to teach classes. We did a lot of creative things in that area to make sure we were passing along. Like I taught a class on John Maxwell's 21 Laws of Leadership. I know that dates me and I know I'm old, but there was a lot of good stuff to talk to about that. And our head of finance did a thing on creating budgets. And then he came around and did a thing on healthcare finance and how healthcare systems make money and uh, different buckets of money. And the person in charge of applications went through a, a, pro a training class on governance and how to think about governance. Think about all those things. All those things made people more valuable wherever they went. It didn't matter what the next role was. What about, I want to talk about communication for a second, if we could, because I know that's a key pillar in the first 90 days. I think that we're communicating a lot to the end users. That's where I need to be communicating because I know our situation, there were unhappy positions and that's kind of what started to stimulate some of the, the change to happen here. So there's a lot of communication that needs to happen out to nursing and physician leadership. What's the best way that you've seen? I mean, it's not the board that I'm worried about. It's, it's, other positions that can make or break a career here. Yeah, it's, a, it's the physicians with the pitchforks. I've, yeah, I've been there. And when I took over, the yeah, our satisfaction rate with our EHR implementation was extremely low, which is a perfect time to take over, by the way. It's hard if you're there after year two and year three, you're not doing your job. But the So what we started with was a survey. 
I wanted to get as much, uh, we had a physician, a big physician get together coming up and I wanted to fly around every location and talk to everybody, but we're talking 16 locations across uh, you know, multiple states and whatnot. I didn't have enough time. We put together a survey. We went through the uh, CMO and he got it out to all the physicians and we collected as much information as we possibly could, which formed the foundation for my presentation to the physicians. And I was able to say, hey, we hear you. These are the questions we ask. This is what you're telling us. And the, the now famous quote, I think I've said on the podcast a couple of time, times uh, from one of the physicians, we left a lot of like just blank spaces that they could write stuff in. And that was the most telling uh, things, not just check boxes. And one of the physicians wrote, hey, 1989 just called, they want their technology. <laughs> Nothing uh, encapsulated where we were at as a health system. The data center had gone down. The EHR was not well received. We had the same EHR in all of our hospitals, but it was different versions across the board. We weren't sharing information. Each financial uh, package was, uh, or each financial close was its own entity. And then they had to roll up and the system office would take the better part of 30 days to close each month. So the day they closed, they started the next month's close. And it was, it was just, it was just an awful situation. But I, all I had to do was talk to one person. I could have figured that out. That's not the point of it. The point of it was to let people know that we're going to create a culture that we want to listen. We want your input. If we're doing bad, we want you to tell us we're doing bad because we really want to give you the things you need to be successful. That's a double-edged sword. It's great because you create that ongoing dialogue, but then you have to deliver on all those things. So I think it's important to know what you're going to be about and then create mechanisms to reinforce that. So the survey was one thing. By the way, I didn't do another survey for three years. And the reason I didn't do another survey for three years is because we didn't really need to, because out of that first survey, we create, uh, I was able to identify who the champions were going to be and who the physicians were that really made a, that really had the influence within the organization. And I brought them together. We created a multi-year strategy, got that funded, and then I ended up working real closely with them, and they were the champions out in the field as we moved that forward. We're going to do the class survey. We've done it once before. We're going to do it again. At least that way we have the benchmarks to go off of. The culture that I'm looking to create is more, I don't know if you've ever read the business book, called uh, Yes And, uh, instead of No But. That concept in IT, it tends to be we're overwhelmed, so the answer is no. And then it kind of shuts down all the creative thought that happens after that, as opposed to, yes, and we do need to think about, well, we're going to have to put these other projects on hold or whatever else we need to do to fund it. I want to get to that kind of a culture in IT. And we don't have that now. I'm looking forward to it. I've seen it done in other businesses where they've moved to that yes and culture. So you're always keeping the ideas going. And sometimes it's yes, and we can't get to it for three years that's okay. Yes. And so I love that concept. It's really a culture change that I'm hoping to instill into the, the people who are interacting with the end users. The, I want the analysts to be closer. I want them to be connected to the clinicians because I think that's also missing in healthcare IT. Sometimes we're a little, we're a little too far. We're in the cubicles too much. Get out of the cubicle, get to the front line. Yes, there's COVID going on. Put your mask on and go out there 
and follow a nurse around, follow a doctor around, see what they're experiencing, see what the bill that you did, is it really working the way you thought it would or they're using it the way you thought they would use it. And so I think we do need to bring that, that's a culture change for IT also, to bring them closer to the clinical world where they, most of them came from and they want to be back there. It's just they, they've been turned into ticket cleaning monsters and we need to get away from that. We're ticket takers and ticket closers to we are clinical IT. We're at your elbow building the tools that are going to make your life better so you can make the patient's life better. Yeah, I agree more. Uh, but I, I will say this, it's your job to create the systems that allow people to do the things that you're asking them to do. And so my example for that is the first 30 days or so, I met with a lot of people from internal IT and I was looking for those no answers. Those were keys. So when I'd say things like, hey, is there any way we can bring on more? We, we had a large clinically integrated uh, network and I'm like, can we bring these on faster? I'm hearing from the business that we're not bringing these on fast enough. And they would say, no, there's no, absolutely no way to do it. We only have this much bandwidth. It takes this long to bring people on and those kind of things. And I'd say, okay, no. And I'd circle those things because they always gave me the things I needed to work on. When they said, no, you can't do it, that was an indication. And what that was an indication of was that our integration and data sharing practices were so antiquated. By the way, they weren't wrong. We couldn't. I mean, I saw this spreadsheet. We had 110 clinicians waiting to get connected. And it, it was going to take us better part of three years to connect up those clinicians. And that's without adding any to it. And based on just sheer numbers and facts, they were, they were absolutely right. So we sat back and said, all right, you said, no, we can't do it this way. So let's explore a different way. And so we created a different way to do it, which we could onboard almost 10 or so a month. And so now we're starting to crank. We could crank through those pretty quickly. And we've also figured out a way to accelerate the backlog. So we were able to get through most of those. Once we got the new platform and the new stuff set up, we were able to get through that backlog almost within about six months. And, but those no, those no answers up front, those are gold. We can't do it because, because we don't have enough servers. We don't have enough storage. I don't have enough time in my day. You know, the, the physicians don't want us around during this time. They only want us around during that time. Those no's are great because they give you the, the clues you're going to need later to solve the problem. Good stuff to hear. We, I hear plenty of no's, so there's no, no, no shortage of work that we'll be able to accumulate by that method. So let's see, we've covered finance, we've covered people, communication. Well, actually, you, you know what? Let me go back to that one thing, because this is me giving health IT a little bit of medicine here, and it's to say, our problem is we consider it a good day if nothing went down and we got our work done and nothing went down. And the reality is every day that nothing went down and you got all your work done, you fell one day behind because at the end of the day, the whole world is changing, but you're standing still. If that's your goal, then you're standing still. And so when we talk about on, on This Week in Health IT, when we talk about cloud and we talk about platforms, and we talk about integration strategies and APIs. People are like, oh, that's crazy. That's Epic's job. We don't have to really worry about that. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's exactly how you can think, but you're just falling behind. Every day, you don't look into those strategies and whatnot. 
when it comes time to move a lot faster, you're not going to have put the infrastructure in place so you can move faster. So when you say no a year from now or two years from now, it's because you didn't do your job two years ago. So that gets to strategy. That's very forward thinking. We're looking at strategy in terms of the organization has its three-year plan. We don't have a three-year IT strategic plan. I suspect we should have one. Would you agree with that? Uh, well, it really, it's interesting. Back in the day, I would say that is absolutely the case. But if you're a really forward-leaning health system, the system strategy and the IT plans have gotten so integrated that you don't need an IT plan in and of itself. Because one of the challenges we used to have is we had an IT or we had a health system plan and we had an IT plan and we had to integrate them, right? We had to make those alignments and do all that stuff. Really forward-thinking health systems right now, when their chief strategy officer or COO or whoever's leading the initiative gets going, they understand that almost every initiative they're doing as an IT component, and that almost sets your IT strategy for the year, if not three years. I agree with you that the system strategy has to drive the IT strategy, but I think many of us are coming from the point of, hey, we don't have a cloud strategy. We don't have a work-from-home strategy. We don't have a digital front door strategy. And so when you're missing some of those key components, I think we've got some catch-up to do. And perhaps those systems that are cutting edge, they've already got those table stakes in. They're probably more advanced and they don't have to worry about those things. I think there's plenty of us out there we still have a lot of table stakes to build on. Hey, Mark, a majority, actually. I, was, I just had a conversation over the weekend with the CIO, and we were talking about a platform strategy. And he was saying, he goes, I, I've never thought about this before. I mean, why do I have to think about a platform strategy? I'm like, you don't. You don't. You're in a market where you have 60, 65 to 70% market share, and there's no Walmarts coming in or CVS coming in. There's, I mean, you have that market share, and you have it tied up for the next five years. You don't. Yeah, you don't have to think about it. But that's a, that's a majority of health systems don't have those kinds of integrated strategies at this point. So you, you are absolutely right. When I went in, I set a five-year IT strategy, and it was built around, I, I'm huge in making and communicating, right? So communicating in a way that they understand. So it was, the mantra was a data-driven strategy. Back in 2011, this was new, talking data-driven strategy. And our, our mantra was free the data, share the data, apply the data. And I, I gave it those, those things so people could remember it. And they still remember it to this day. They, they crack me up because they'll see me and they go, hey, free the data, share the data, apply the data. I'm like, yeah. So that was our, that was our analytics and, and app store strategy. That's where we were going. And the other side was we had two pillars. One was data-driven strategy. And the second was move to the cloud. And everyone knew the reason we were moving to the cloud was not to get to the cloud because it was the big thing. We were moving to the cloud for one thing, agility. We knew there was going to come a time where we needed to move really fast and the cloud offers you agility. And people are like, are you doing it to save money? Nope. Are you doing it for new capabilities? Nope. We're doing it for agility. We want to be able to move fast. And we know that this fixed data center with the diesel generator outside that we had to fire every week or every month you know, to test and do all this other stuff did not give us the business agility we needed to move into the future. And to be honest with you, I wasn't sure how the system was going to respond. We said, here are the two pillars and here's what it's going to cost. And it was a lot of money. And they looked at us and said, 
absolutely. And they funded it 100%. I think everyone who's moving into health IT and taking over a team is going to be told part of the same thing, which is we want more agility out of IT. And we want to reduce headcount and we want to do more with less. And we want engagement to, to be higher. What else do they throw in there? Those are the typical ones. And we do need as leaders to figure out how are we going to get there? And that strategic plan, when presented properly, I think, to the other leaders in the organization, they'll nod their heads and say, yes, we want you to be more agile. We see how you're going to get there. Take us there. That's a good vision. We want to be with you when you go there. So that's part of what I think we need to do as IT leaders is to, as you said, break it down into simple terms. But they're probably not going to understand the difference between the Amazon Web Services versus what Google or Azure is offering, nor do they care. They want to understand what do they get when they go to the cloud? What is so magical about it? And that's where I think we have our responsibility to share that in a manageable way, understandable way. Yeah, I, I remember my data center operator coming to me and saying, we need uh, $12 million for our data center. We need new crack units. We need new PRUs. I forget what they were. I forget what the acronym was, but essentially it was power distribution, PDUs, power distribution units and stuff like that. And I'm like, all right, I'm not asking for that stuff. And he just looked at me, he's like, we need it. The data center needs it. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not asking for it. I'm not going into a healthcare CEO with a bunch of doctors sitting around the room saying, hey, we need some crack units and PDUs. He's going to think that we're like throwing a, a party and we're going to get high or something. Um, <laughs> so it, we, I'm like, I, I'm just not doing it. I, uh, and, I, and then I asked him the question, which I think sh you know, made him shudder, which was, do we really need any data centers? And he just looked at me like I was insane. And I'm like, no, it's a valid question. We need to ask that question. Do we need any data centers? And he said, I, I don't even understand. It, like the concept didn't even dawn on him. I'm like, look, let's draw a circle around this building within 10 miles. How many data centers do you think there are within 10 miles of this building? He goes, that we can use? I'm like, yeah, that we can use. Because I don't think there's that many. I'm like, I guarantee you there's at least 10. He's like, nah, there's no way. And, and we never actually did, I never actually found the numbers, but we did find like in Southern California, I mean, there's at least a dozen, and you wouldn't think Southern California, that there would be a lot of data centers since it's earthquake zone. There's a ton of data centers we could use. And so the question remained, why am I going and asking for 12 to $14 million for PDUs, crack units and stuff like that, when I can just go down the street. And by the way, I'm not even talking cloud at this point. I'm just talking, get out of the data center business, move my stuff into somebody else's building and let them run the generator tests, let them run the PDUs, let them do the crack units. And you know what, if they don't live up to their thing, we'll move our stuff to a different data center. And that was the, back in 2011, that's how we were thinking. And we did, we got out of the data center business, but really where we wanted to go was we wanted to go cloud, where essentially I can lease down to the compute level and to the individual storage unit, those kind of things. There's nothing like that in terms of agility. Absolutely. I do want to talk about managing up because every new leader who gets into their role is going to want to know, all right, what's my first 90 days with my new boss, what should I be looking at? And when we stepped into this role, Teresa and I, we sat down with the CEO and COO, and they laid out very clearly, this is what we want to see. Made it very easy for us. They're very explicit with that. 
I'm not sure everyone who steps into a new role gets that clarity. Sometimes they're just like, go, go fix IT. <laughs> it may just be kind of general like that. So sometimes you get that thrown at you. So what questions or how do you approach that new boss of yours if you're taking over this new team and getting at what's important to them for what they want to see from you? Yeah, I'll tell you, one of the interesting things with the, the CIO job I took in Southern California was uh, a lot of the big name CIOs didn't want the job because it did not report into the CEO. It reported into the, I think the COO at that time, which changed, it was eventually the president, but I never reported into the CEO uh, directly, but I knew that that relationship was key and critical. And so what I asked of her was that we would get together on a monthly basis and that we would make sure that a calendar invite never came off for whatever reason. So, and what's interesting is what started out as a, I really need clarity from you. I need to ask you a couple questions. And also I needed to figure out how to navigate going past my boss to, to his boss and meeting with her directly. And so I just made that part of the, hey, this is just what we're gonna do. It started off as a, hey, help me to understand some things. And she did that really well the whole time I was there. But the other thing it ended up being was uh, I started sharing articles with her. Every time I went to see her, I had an article with me that explained cloud computing, that explained APIs, that explained platforms, that explained, because you know what? She knew, she knew as the, even back then, she knew as the leader of a healthcare organization that she was going to have to be able to speak technology. She had to understand it, how it was going to be applied and how it was going to, uh, and, and we're seeing a lot of CEOs start to make that leap. And that's part of my job. I saw that as part of my job was educating her. But if you're in a role right now where you don't know what your expectations are, or if you're delivering on those expectations, I, it, I, it doesn't matter what job you're in right now. I would give the same advice. If you were my kid, I'd give the same advice, which is go get clarity. You cannot succeed without clarity. You just can't do it. Uh, you can't even do that in your marriage, for heaven's sake. Go talk to your wife. What she to me? I mean, seriously, how do you, you know, at least in baseball, when you go to the plate, you know what's expected of you, right? Get on base. Put the ball in play. Don't strike out. I mean, there's a clear set of rules in athletics that sort of define this is what you're supposed to do. But we get into the, the business world and we'll operate for the better part of a year or so, not really knowing what our expectations are. Or we, we're, we think the expectation is to make sure the data center doesn't go down, but the expectation really is to make the EHR more usable and to engage the community in, in health and to, and to help our ACO partners. And, the, and we're like, oh gosh, I didn't know that was something that was expected of me, the CIO. I thought that was a, a clinical thing. It's like, well, ask. Get, get somebody who's going to tell you what's, and by the way, the expectations don't just come from your leader. There's, there's the expectations of the physician community and the clinician community, the nurses as well. I mean, that was critical because I knew every time the CEO went out on a, a visit to a hospital, she was going to hear, oh, this EHR is hard to use and we don't have access to the reporting that we need. We can't. So if, I, if I'm not listening to each one of my hospitals and what their specific needs are, and I'm not coaching my team to be out there and listening, and they're not in the huddles 
identifying those challenges. And I haven't empowered them with the tools and the ability to make decisions that they can actually address those problems. Every time that CEO goes out there, she's going to hear the same stuff over and over again. And she's going to go, you're not doing your job. And she would be right. Sometimes the unwritten expectations that are out there, that it's just a matter of having a high degree of emotional intelligence to understand not only what they're telling you they want you to do, but also the understanding that you may be in charge of keeping the data center on and the lights on and the phones working, but people are expecting more from IT. They're expecting us to be the strategic partner for that operational leader and to deliver with them, hey, here's some new ideas and thoughts and and different tools that you could take advantage of that they're not looking at because they may not even know such things exist. They want us to be that partner. doesn't mean we're telling them how to do their business. We're saying, here's an option. If it interests you, let me know. We'll help deliver it for you. And I think that's a key component that's not in any job description. It's not going to be someone's going to come out and directly tell you. But everyone wants you to be a strategic partner. Right. Well, and we're also dream killers. When we say no on a consistent basis, we're dream killers because not only do they think, oh, they can't do things. When we established a platform within the health system and we had analytics and app capabilities, doctors were coming to me all the time saying, I've got this idea and I think we could do this and we could do this with the perioperative admissions process and we could do this over here. We could do this over here. I, to be honest with you, I couldn't keep up. The, the physicians were so creative. I mean, they were just constantly coming up with, hey, I could fill this gap with the EHR and I could fill this gap in, in our tax communication process with our patients. And I'm like, to a certain extent, I, I created my own monster in that, hey, we want to listen and hey, we want to enable you and those kind of things. But it's, again, that's, we want that problem, like we have too many things coming at us rather than we have nothing coming at us. We've killed the dreams of so many people because they're like, look, IT can barely keep the systems on. I, I'm not going to ask them if, you know, we can uh, integrate via fire uh, through an app so that I can create a better uh, patient experience for, you know, our, our, our PEDS patients with, with cancer. Which is, which is think about the different engagement levels, though, that you just described with your providers pinging you saying, I want to do more. We want more capability as opposed to the disengaged providers. You don't know it, but when the CEO goes on rounds and, and gets ambushed, you would much rather have them say, I am so excited to be working with the CMIO, CNIO, CIO team than the no people. So Mark, you know this, you know, know this better than I, than anybody. And I'm painting this picture and I don't want to paint a perfect picture here because I had my share of physicians who wanted to string me up, right? You're focusing on the future too much and we need better stuff. Our EHR was not a hundred percent. Our EHR probably got a B grade every year from the physicians and from some of them, it got an F every year. It's like, this is the worst thing I've ever had to deal with. I wish I was with another health system. How do you deal with them? How do you deal with the people that are going to give you an F? I mean, you could give them the best EHR. Your class rating could be through the roof. And then there's just that physician that's sitting over here going, yeah, I don't like you people. You don't know what you're doing. Uh, we had this physician who constantly gave us an F. We actually put a, a, a physician champion at his elbow for two days. And he's like, and he's like helping him to customize it. He customized the whole thing. Because he had never customized it. He had never built it out. Even though we offered him training, he didn't go to the training. 
even a, what do you do in those cases? Most of the time, they're right. Is that if they're struggling, it's because something is intuitive. We didn't build something the way that they wanted it to be. And sometimes they're just being, yeah, they like their paper charts. And that's going to be a hard person to satisfy. But I found that I can engage with them. I can sit down and usually put them in charge of making that part better. And they get to lead the analysts and they get to develop it. It's hard to complain about something that you develop yourself. So that's a little bit of co-optation, but sure, letting them own some of that and that experience, if they're willing to engage, if they're so far disengaged, sometimes you got to look at, okay, are they burnt out? Are they really disengaged from more than just the EHR? Are they disengaged from their practice, their family, their whatever else is going on? So we put our psychology degrees on and, and we get try to get in there. And this is where that home for dinner program that I had helped create my previous organization, we got really personal with some of the providers who were very unhappy and they're expressing their frustration on happiness with EMR, but that's not it. That's the, the tool that's easy to point to. It's in front of you every day. It's where you throw your frustrations at. There's a lot that you can get at that's underneath. And it sometimes takes another clinician, whether it's another nurse with a nurse, doctor with a doctor, or whatever it is, that people will open up to people who they feel recognize and understand the pain they're going through. So that's that's how we tackle that is one-on-one, very up close and very personal. I'm going to ask for the last word here because we're coming up on our time. And the one thing I, I tell all my coaching clients, and I would say to you, this is an exciting time. when you typically get promoted because you were successful in your last role. But in your last role, you might have had a team of 10 people, 15 people, five people, it depends on the organization and where you're coming from. Now you have 200. What the expectation is and the opportunity is that what you were able to do as a single person in a team of 10 people that you'll now be able to do across 200. And so it's how do you lead through them as opposed to the individual contributor, how do you lead through them so that you have 200 people that are out there thinking, how do I make this, how do I make Peninsula one of the best EHR implementations in the country, one of the best IT shops in the country, a, a place where we innovate, where we work together to, to really, you know, all those things that are in your head, you have to figure out how to empower your team so that you, they, they know that they can make a difference on a daily basis because if you have 200 people making a difference, that's 200 times what you could have done by yourself. That's good stuff, Bill. I want to thank you for doing the show with me. I think it's going to have value for a lot of people out there who will be taking over roles either tomorrow or soon in the future. And this will give them some good foundation, whether that's a CMIO, a CIO, a CNIO, this applies to all. So. Uh, great show, and thank you. Uh, always a big fan of your show. I always do listen in, so uh, thanks for, for putting on good stuff. Absolutely. I'm going to go hit golf balls right now and put your show on so I can listen to your last. I do. I put the I put the headset on, I listen to somebody's podcast, and I go hit golf balls. It's a lot of fun. That sounds awesome. All right, man. Take care. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.